So then, remember, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised. Is that why I'm doing this? <laughs> by those called the uncircumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, and who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace." He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Amen. (laughs) So I sent this really thorough email to Allison this week, explaining what to do, and... My phalanges failed me in typing the three instead of the two. What a beautiful passage of Scripture to be with you guys today. In the first ten verses of this chapter, chapter two, they, they paint a picture of a world that is deeply in conflict. Sin versus grace, a world torn between life and death. A world that caused people to believe that their particular group was worth more than another particular group. As we do as humans, we group up. It's always been the case. And then those, those verses that you probably are so familiar with, I hope that you are, in chapter 2, 8 through 10, where the text reminds us that we're saved by grace through faith not of works, lest anyone should, should boast. But we're also saved in order to do good works, to do the good that was prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is addressing folks in this letter who were once dead in their sin. Our text reminds us they had no hope and they were without God in the world. But what we see being explained here praise God, is that Jesus Christ is the difference in who these people once were and who we once were and who we are now. And we spent several minutes last week trying to remind each other of that, that we are sons and daughters of God, of the Most High God, and we are in God's grasp, and we can never, ever be ripped from that grasp. And this is true, Paul is arguing, for for both groups Jews and Gentiles alike. And as we extrapolate that out and apply that to our context today, we can understand that this text means for us that there is now no condemnation for anyone 
who is in Christ Jesus, regardless of how much money they make or what their, what their appearance is, who likes them and who doesn't like them. We were once without God in the world, but those of us who are in Christ now are not without God in the world. We have been recreated, just like God created all that is accounted for in Genesis 1 through 3. We too, individually and as a church, the body of Christ, have been recreated. And that is to pass from death to life, from from sin to grace, and to be called out to do good works, which we don't have to come up with on our own, which are prepared in advance for us to do. The good news this letter has for us today, the good news for us as saints, is that in this broken world of ours, reconciliation is no longer a dream. It is something that already is. It is something that already is. So when we begin, when we began today at the end of the call to worship, when I asked you to pass the peace, that's the terminology we will typically use for that time. And I think it fits our congregation well, and I love watching you do so. But it's not, they're they're not idle moments any more than the, maybe the discomfort you had while the offering was passed because we didn't have a video to show today. And it was silent in here and kind of still, and there was quietness. But as the Quakers teach us, that's not nothing. It's not nothing to be silent. And it's not insignificant to pass the peace to one another because what you're demonstrating when you pass the peace to one another is that you love one another, that you can sit together in these pews week after week, that you can join one another in each other's homes week after week, that you can be the body of Christ together and there's nothing that is between you any longer because of what Christ has done. That is what we are demonstrating when we pass the peace one to another. When the neighbors in ancient Ephesus saw who were eating together in this new creation that is the church, they were shocked. They couldn't believe it. So let's look at a diagram together. First, we see God in us. And there's a line extending from God to us. Because of Jesus, it's not fractured. It's not broken. There is a line there. There is connection between God and us. And the next one we see, two us's. Because we are so apt to divide ourselves into groups. Our text speaks of the two groups in our text, the Jews and the Gentiles, fill in the blank for what those can be. But if you see that the lines there extend from God to us, even in both cases, we probably can figure out what the next diagram would be. We'll get to that later. First, I want to tell you a a story about a man I've come to um, really respect. I haven't met him yet, but I have been... um, to uh, Montgomery to see much of his work. Brian Stevenson is, um, yeah, there he is, pixelated. Um, He has worked tirelessly for years to give a voice to folks who um, need uh, need representation, folks on death row. Um, He's working, his work, the Equal Justice Initiative is working to um, heal some of the Um, problems with mass incarceration in our country and just protecting basic human rights. On their website, it says the Equal Justice Initiative is committed to ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the U.S. to challenge 
racial and economic injustice and to protect basic human rights for the most vulnerable people in American society. And reading Stevenson's work and his stories, I am often moved to tears. So I'll tell you one of those stories this morning. One afternoon, uh, Brian Stevenson stepped out of his car in the prison yard and he craned his neck to get a better view of the truck that he saw in front of him because the truck was, was covered in a lot of stickers, a lot of stickers that, um, well, one said, if I'd known it would have turned out like this, I would have picked my own cotton. And as he walked into the prison, he was met by a correctional officer he had never met before. And this conversation ensued. Good afternoon, officer. Brian said, well, what are you doing here? The officer snarled. Well, sir, I'm here for a legal visit. I represent one of the inmates here, and I'm here to meet him for the first time. Well, you'll have to be searched first. Please go to the bathroom and remove all of your clothes if you expect to get into my prison. Uh, No, sir, Stevenson replied kindly, but matter-of-factly, I'm a lawyer, and we don't have to go through a search like that. Um, the officer wasn't taking no for an answer. So Stevenson relented and, and did it. Um, and after that episode, he went to see his client, but the officer said, well, you're not getting into this prison until you sign in. And Stevenson, pretty miffed at this point, but trying to keep his cool, said, no, lawyers don't sign in. That's for a different group. I don't have to do that. Um, but just out of ease, he went ahead and, and did it. It was getting more and more difficult. Obviously, the officer didn't want him there or wanted to make it as difficult as possible. And as he did finally get to the door where the room was, where he was going to meet with his, with his client, the officer grabbed Stevenson's arm and, and said, wait a minute, did you, did you happen to see that truck out in the parking lot? I think you know the, the one with the gun rack and all the flags and Stevenson said, yes, I I saw it. And the officer said, well, I just want to make sure you know that's mine. The client that Stevenson was meeting that day was named Avery Jenkins. Mr. Jenkins, Brian said, my name is Brian Stevenson. I'm your attorney. I spoke with you on the phone. And Jenkins interrupted immediately and said, did you you bring me a chocolate milkshake? I want a chocolate milkshake, which is understandable. I'd love a chocolate milkshake right now, but that's beside the point. After the episode with the officer, Stevenson was, was, was really, this was becoming bizarre. Clients asking for a chocolate milkshake. So Stevenson kind of quickly said, no, I didn't bring you a chocolate milkshake. I'm your lawyer. I'm, I'm here to ask you some questions and figure out what's, you know, what's going on in a, in a, in a way forward to, to represent you. But Jenkins was not interested in answering any questions until he resolved the chocolate milkshake and Stevenson understood this or began to see this. And he said, Mr. Jenkins, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know you wanted a chocolate milkshake. The next time I come see you, I will try to let them bring you, let, let them let me bring you a chocolate milkshake. Next time I will, I will try. Mr. Jenkins' medical report revealed that he actually often experienced psychotic episodes. Clearly suffering from mental illness, his records curiously made no mention of such. And upon deeper investigation, Stevenson found heartbreaking details about Mr. Jenkins' past. His father was murdered before he was born, 
and his mother died of a drug overdose when he was a year old. He'd been in foster care since he was two, 19 different foster homes before he turned eight. He began showing signs of intellectual disabilities at a very early age, and it wasn't long before he was considered seriously mentally ill. At 10, he was with particularly abusive foster parents with very rigid rules, and he did not obey the rules very well, and it became very difficult. There was constantly turmoil in the house, and the mother eventually could not handle it anymore. And she took him into the woods and tied him to a tree. Hunters found him three days later, nearly dead. By the time he was 13, he was abusing alcohol. By the time he was 15, he was having seizures regularly and psychotic episodes. By 17, he was removed from the foster care system and rendered homeless. And by 19, he stabbed a man to death who he thought was a demon during one of his episodes. When it came time for Avery Jenkins' trial, what Stevenson was trying to do is get some of this knowledge about his past into the legal record and a part of the story that was being told about Jenkins to try to keep him from death row. Stevenson felt good about their ability to help the court system understand this new information about Avery's past and what might have caused, contributed some to the murder When he arrived at court for what would be the first of a three-day court session to defend Mr. Jenkins, Stevenson noticed that the officer he had met at that first visit was present in the courtroom, which meant he was the officer that was transporting Avery Jenkins to and from the courthouse, which was over two hours away. And this made Stevenson nervous about Mr. Jenkins' mental state, spending all that time with the officer having Avery's well-being well in his mind. Let's look back at our diagram, and let's see the line that brings us together. I just want you to see the picture there. Because what, what our text is doing for us today is helping us understand that we do have access to peace. To, for turmoil to not be the story that is governing our lives, but actually the peace of Christ governing us. Our text tells us that Jesus created in, him, in himself a, a new humanity in place of the two Jews and Gentiles that were opposed, or fill in the blank, any two groups that are opposed in whatever way, that we, we are fully reconciled with one another through Jesus. Again, to be recreated is to pass from death to life, from, from sin to grace, to be, to be called to good works and to be called the body of Christ, able to do these good works in a spectacular fashion in the world to bring others to understand who Jesus is and what Christ has done. The good news Ephesians has for us, the good news for us as saints, is that in this broken world of ours, reconciliation is not a dream. It's something that already is. There is no break between us and God, and there is no break because of that between us and one another. Look at the text in verse 14, for he is our peace, it says. Verse 15, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. Verse 17, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were actually near. 
The Jews were very near God. They had been called out way back when Abraham was alive to be God's people who would reveal who God is to the rest of the world, to be the light to the nations, our text in Psalm reminded us today, or even in Revelation. They were near God. And then there were those who were far off, the Gentiles, who were not part of this this chosen group. But what we understand from our text here is that both groups actually were far off and needing reconciliation with God and with one another. Jesus is making peace even today. It is multi-layered. It is an intricate process that actually will never be fully complete until Jesus returns. But keep in mind, y'all, we never look into the eyes of someone whom God does not love. And if peace is so integral, as our text teaches us to who the church is and what what we are to be about, then why isn't the church, with Christ as its head, the most obvious place on earth as a place of peace and peacemaking? It must be. Well, the answer to that is it's because that even though God has brought reconciliation through Jesus to, to anyone, God does not force us to realize that we're reconciled. That's why we need one another to be reminded of this. And if we did understand our reconciliation, we literally could forego all the enmity, all the pain that exists between us, which I have come to believe is so firmly rooted almost exclusively in insecurity and fear. This idea that there's not enough resources to go around when in fact there are. That Christ has made life on earth, abundant for us through his sacrifice. In the church, no one, no one can be an outsider or an insider, a friend or enemy. We, we, we all are reconciled. We are God's children. That's what it means to be a saint that we talked about last week. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us more or make God love us less. And we are free. We are free to love one another because of what our text says, that that Jesus has literally dismantled this dividing wall that can so easily be erected between us. It is just, it just doesn't have to be there. I'd go as far to say any any wall that we think is there is an illusion. We're being duped. Jesus demolishes the wall that separates insiders and outsiders, haves and have-nots, blacks and whites. Remember, justification that we talked about last week means that we are invited into the family of God. Verse 19, you're, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with all the saints and members of God's household. That dividing wall has been broken down. To understand, to really receive and live out this third diagram where we are reconciled to one another, it allows us to be the church in the world, to be people who love and who forgive one another, people who are peacemakers. The church is the people, it's not the building, at least not first. It is a reconciled community of peace and joy and forgiveness and love. And Jesus is our cornerstone. It's a, it's a, it's a strange, compelling, 
difficult to remember at times ending to this section that Paul literally paints a picture for us that tells us the church is not a building or somewhere we just go. I love how Eugene Peterson calls this out. He, he says, first and foremost, we've got to be about what the church is and not just what the church does. What the church does flows from what the church is. The church is not a building. It is the people. It is people of peace, people who have been reconciled one to another because they have been reconciled with God through Jesus. We are more of what we are supposed to be if you are a part of us, if I'm a part of us, if they, whoever they are, are a part of us, and we are less of what we are supposed to be when someone believes they cannot be a part of us or would not want to be a part of us. A few weeks after the hearing for Mr. Jenkins, which did go quite well, Stevenson paid Jenkins a visit at the prison to check on him. He had, the trial had been rough, and even some of the foster parents had, had been present, and so Stevenson wanted to just go check on his client, which made sense. This was even a couple of weeks before the verdict came in, and sure enough, in the parking lot, there was that same truck. But it was interesting. When Stevenson walked into the prison, he was met by the officer who said, Good morning, Mr. Stevenson and shook out his hand, stuck out his hand to to shake his hand. Stevenson was caught off guard, and he said, well, good morning. He said, well, are you here to see Mr. Jenkins, I guess? Stevenson said, yeah. He said, well, I'll I'll go ahead. Stevenson said, I'll go ahead and get in the bathroom and get, oh, no, you don't have to, you don't have to be searched. Well, I'll, I'll go sign in. No, no, you don't have to sign in. I already did that for you. It's a little bizarre what was going on, and so the officer showed Mr. Stevenson back to the room, and before they got there and he unlocked the door, he, he grabbed his arm. He said, can I, can I tell you something, Mr. Stevenson, the officer said. He said, I, I was there at the trial, and I heard all that was said, and I want you to know I think you did a really good job, and it, it was really difficult for me to be there because I too grew up in the foster care system. And I realized through that trial that I have carried a ton of anger with me through the years, thinking that it was worse for me than anybody else. And I learned through hearing Mr. Jenkins' story that I didn't have it worse than anybody else. And I want you to know that it was, it was good for me to be there. And I really appreciate what you're doing, Mr. Stevenson. Keep it up. Floored, they, Stevenson was in shock, but really glad. And they went on to talk for a minute more. And then the officer opened up the room to let him in and grabbed his arm one more time. He said, I want to tell you one more thing. I, I did something that I don't think I was supposed to do. But on the last day, when I was driving Mr. Jenkins back to the prison, I just pulled off one exit early and drove through Wendy's and got him a chocolate milkshake. Stevenson sat down with Mr. Jenkins and began to, again, apologize for not bringing a chocolate milkshake and 
Avery said, oh, it's okay. I got one. I'm good. My prayer for us today is that we realize that Jesus is our peace. And our text teaches us that this is so because of the sacrifice that Jesus made to literally tear down the wall of hostility that exists between us and anybody else. There is no room for us as believers, as saints, to hold a grudge, to hate anyone, to look in any other person's eyes and see anything but our risen Lord because of what Jesus has done. And that's not a sacrifice for us, y'all. If it feels like it, you're confused. That is freedom and joy that we are able to love one another with the very love of Jesus because of what Christ has done. And praise the Lord for the Apostle Paul to put it in such beautiful terms for us all throughout this letter penned for, yes, the Ephesians, but also for us. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, mighty and near, would you please commit us again, new to one another. May we understand this simple diagram in our bones. May those of us who are already in Christ, who have received your grace through faith, understand this, live this, in a way that communicates to a, <laughs> a desperate world. Whether, whether it knows it's desperate or not, it is. We know this to be true. Give us your eyes. Tear the scales off of them. The confusion that may exist in our lives. The, where we don't fully understand that we are free. That we lack nothing in Christ. I want us to know that. I want to know that. And I want others to know that. Lord, if anyone is here today who is, is yet to surrender their lives to you, I pray that they would be compelled to do so in these next few moments wherever we are as individuals and, and, and where we are as a church family. Continue to reveal yourself to us this morning, wherever we are. Give us more confidence than we had in your gospel. Make us more like you. Let us realize the freedom that we have the hostility that we are free from. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.